Welcome to Pain No Pain, where we offer a podcast that merges up-to-date science with real-world suffering through the experience of patience and knowledge of experts. Pain No Pain, Episode 1. What is pain? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pain No Pain, Episode 1. And... I am here with my colleague, Dr. Sev Perlman. And I'm here with my good friend and a colleague, Michael Wansborough. And, and t- together we're going to talk about the definition of pain today. Sure we would, but I wanted to say that we have friendly neighborhood pain physicians. Out of sunny Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Absolutely. Well, it's sunny, but now it's raining. Except it's raining. <laughs> but they don't know that. Anyway. Well, well, jokes aside, uh, it's kind of a boring topic, but it's very important because definition of pain helps us healthcare providers to understand, to frame what we should focus on. And for people who suffer from pain, hopefully for our listeners, it will be also important to see and to understand what we define pain as, and then it will be maybe easier for them to advocate for their care. Absolutely. So let's get on with the show. Let's do it. Okay. This year... In fact, right about now, we have a one-year anniversary of a new or renewed definition of pain. And mm. it's very important because this new definition of pain in July of 2020 was put together and put out for us to use by the International Association for the Study of Pain. The first definition of pain was kind of formed in uh, 1979. I think it's about 42 years ago. Did you know about this, Mike? 42 years ago, I was much younger than I am today. (laughs) Yeah, when you were 10 years old, you didn't care about pain, but uh, it's an important concept, and more importantly, it's a great example how the experts from different countries meet again and again and revise the definition. So, without further ado, what is the new definition of pain? So, they they break it down into a, a bunch of points, and we'll go through each point as quickly and as painlessly as possible. We'll try. But overall, they say that pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience, and it's associated with or resembling that uh, associated with or potential tissue damage. Sounds like a scientist came up with this wording because it really is a big mouthful. I guess what they really say is it encompasses both sensory, what we feel, and emotionally, how we feel about it experience, and it doesn't have to be associated with actual tissue damage. It can just be resembling of a tissue damage or similar to tissue damage. In fact, tissue damage is not even important, can be real, can be potential, but it's a complex phenomenon. And as you mentioned, they uh, subdivided that in kind of six important messages. Right. So let's go through them. Number one, pain is always a personal experience that is influenced to varying degrees by biological, that's your body, psychological, that's your mind, and social factors. Yeah, and it's kind of interwoven with our concept understanding of what is disease and what is illness. And from medical school years, we know that disease is something that we as professionals like to use because disease implies there is a specific pathology, specific abnormality, and we have to find a cure. Right, like heart disease, and it might not always be evident. Well, appendicitis, you know, disease. Appendicitis hurts in the end. It does, and in the beginning too. Well, you can have diseases. The point is that disease doesn't actually have to be 
felt. It can be underneath the, in the background, right? So, whereas the illness side of things is when that disease becomes felt. Yeah, it, it's a, illness, I always think about it. Illness is my personal experience about the disease that I might have. And this, it's a personal element that encompasses all other effects that disease have on me. It's pain, it's disability, it's handicap, it's the whole bunch of issues related to my experience of what I have. So illness is personal, disease is more kind of professional attitude from outside what it is. There's also an element of sickness, and sickness is a label that society puts on somebody suffering from disease or experiencing illness. But let's forget about sickness for now. Let's talk about the element of pain definition that actually involves, as you mentioned, personal experience that is influenced by various degrees by biological, psychological, and social factors. So that's number one. Number two? Number two. Pain and nociception are different phenomena. Now, nociception's a big word. comes from some... Greek or Latin word. I don't know. It's some noisy stuff, which has exception. No C-ception. Right. And, yeah, they're both different things. And uh, you cannot, pain cannot be inferred solely from activity in the sensory neurons. Pain is something that is an experience that we create in our minds after receiving the nociceptive inputs. Sure. I, I just uh, Googled right now, and I figured out the term nociception was... Uh, developed by Charles Scott Sherrington to distinguish the physiological process like nervous activity from pain, which is a subjective experience. And it's derived from a Latin verb nocere, which means to harm. That's fascinating. I'm sure it's completely irrelevant. But the idea is very important. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the main issue that sometimes you can have experience of pain without none of this sensors being triggered. Right, and you can have no pain when lots of sensors are being triggered. Right? So what's an example of... Well, you have the idea that some painful states are pleasurable. And there's a whole community out there that believes that. (laughs) But there's also cultures that do these sorts of things, like uh, putting hooks in their skin and and, uh, certain religious festivals and so on, and they get ecstatic over it rather than feeling uh, pain. They feel ecstasy, right? So there are these different different, uh, interpretations. So again, to summarize is that we have a mechanism in our body which has receptors, just like receptors for temperature or receptors to identify prickly things or whatever. And we have these receptors specifically, specifically addressing the issues or the... um, Irritations that should be painful. They're called nociceptors, and then they carry this information through the nerve to the brain. But pain is an experience which brings me to the third point that this definition addresses. And this, I think, is very important that pain uh, is a learned concept. Essentially, we're learning what pain is through our life experiences. Just like when we're kids and, God forbid, we touch something hot and we know it's painful. So this is a very important factor uh, in developing our own image, what pain should be and where it comes from. That's why people experience pains from the same stimulus so differently all across not only cultures, but sexes and ages and from your backgrounds right on. and so off, so many things. That's why looking at some of the tribes with this massive piercing, like 
you know, it hurts just to look at it, but for them, it's normal part of life, which is not necessarily painful. That's right. Which yeah. brings me to the fourth element of the new definition of pain, and it states a person's report of an experience as a person's report of an experience as pain should be respected. Can you say that ten times fast with crackers in your mouth? <laughs> Why did you say it without my Russian accent? So, a person's report. I think it's this horrible phrasing. Again, it's some scientists or a, a, a group of people who have a, a consensus-driven definitions which sound horrible. So, what, I, what I take it from there is that no matter, you, we should be respectful of what people are telling us what they feel pain is. Yes. So, they experience, what they report as pain, we should take it at face value, not question it. If someone says it hurts, it means it hurts. It hurts, that's right. You say it hurts, you, should, you have to respect it. Right? Number five is... Although pain usually serves as an adaptive uh, evolutionary element, it may have adverse effect on function and social and psychological well-being. I guess what it says to me is this. Pain was an evolutionary developed ability to detect something as harmful. Right, like uh, you're putting your foot in the fire and, and you take it away and... Absolutely. So there, it's, there's a specific, very important role of pain, just like anxiety is a normal reaction, this fight-and-flight phenomenon. However, in our society, at present time, many aspects of pain can actually be so impacting our function and social and psychological roles in the society that it affects our well-being. So all of a sudden, pain becomes what we just uh, a few seconds ago mentioned as illness. So our experience uh, are very much um, painted by by societal roles and and how it impacts our role within the society. And therefore, this adaptive, adaptive good part of pain kind of... Pain served a function for a while, but... Their uh, pain has also caused lots of social suffering, stigmatization, and um, and psychological trauma. Right on. Good. I also like the last, the sixth component of the descriptor, and they say explicitly in this definition that you know you don't have to necessarily have an expectations as a physician. I don't have to have expectations what painful behavior should be. So if someone cannot uh, communicate clearly what they feel, it doesn't negate the possibility that they actually experience pain. Right. So it's not people can have pain, animals can have pain, and just because they can't say that they have pain doesn't mean they don't have pain. That's what you're saying. There's ways, different ways of expressing pain. There's a tearing eyes. Seven times you mentioned pain grimacing. in one sentence. It's pretty cool. Oh, well, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's what a podcast is all about. So, right. Okay. No, but this, I tell you, the, the practical example of this is this. People who suffer from chronic pain often don't look like they're in pain, right? And I hear from my uh, physician's colleagues all the time, well, look at this. doesn't look that she or he or it is in pain. They don't have the facial expression, they don't cry, they don't yell, and yet they tell me their pain is 10 of 10. No way. And to which I say, yes way. It's absolutely possible and well documented that people with chronic pain don't necessarily have these painful expressions. Right, or even acute pain, for that matter. And there was that case of the, the patient, uh, in, an indigenous woman in Quebec, who was mocked for being... Uh, thought of as not being in the pain that she had, and then she ended up dying. Mm. Right? 
well, it all goes back to all this Spartan boy story. Remember the boy uh, who was so afraid? Um, essentially, the story goes like in Sparta, a boy found a little fox and he hid it under the tunic. And then he was called to be on a kind of parade and all the boys were staying still where their tutor was marching back and forth teaching them something and the boy was hiding the fox under his tunic and the fox starts chewing and biting him and chew, chew up his liver or whatever Ooh. and the boy was standing emotionlessly until he passed, uh, passed out from this injury and eventually died and that was... Uh, this is a true story. story. Well, it was carried in my family's generation. It's a, a Perlman story. <laughs> no, well, it, it isn't actually. If you, if you, okay, you uncultured <laughs> beast. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a myth. But they, it, the idea is it emphasizes the Spar- Spartan stoicism. But the idea is that we can suppress our sensation of our expression of pain, not sensation, but expression of pain. For sure. Right. Good. Okay, so those are basically the the new um, the new thoughts on definitions of pain, which of course will change in another few years again. We'll go through them again. Well, I'm not sure it's going to change for sure, but I I really think they hit on many, many important aspects. And and the reason it's important is because it can guide us as practitioners, right? It also gives us a foundation to stand on when we advocate for the patients who suffer with pain. Being somewhat wary where appropriate. Well, I think, first of all, um, I think that pain as one of the vital signs is now better recognized in emergency departments compared to what it was 20 years ago when we started. But I think it's a very interesting topic. Maybe we can dedicate the entire episode to that. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll just jot it down. What I want you to talk a little bit uh, about the Montreal Declaration of 2010. Okay, so we're going to get into the Montreal Declaration of 2010, which was um, a document that was uh, put together by delegates from uh, 130 different countries in, uh, and basically coming up with the idea that pain is a fundamental human right. Access to pain management, sorry. So, access to pain management is a fundamental human right. And basically stating that too many times patients are declined pain medications or access to treatments. Uh, there, there's a big fear of servicing addictions on the on the part of health givers, health care givers, health providers maybe providers, health care <laughs> givers, <laughs> people that give the health care <laughs> providers. Thank you. Um, and there's a big fear of getting into trouble from professional colleagues. So getting in trouble by the colleges for over prescribing narcotics, for example. There's concern that medications meant for patients will be sold on the street or get in the hands of other of kids from their med- parents' medicine cabinets, which is a big, big issue. Uh, there's um, also been a real reticence to prescribe certain pain medications, uh, mostly opiates, but of- often other things too, like um, there's other medications that have euphoric side effects that uh, practitioners are skeptical and afraid to prescribe. And, um, and anyway, opiates are often not indicated for a lot of these painful states anyway. So so they came together to address some of these critical issues, and they came up with three articles. Right, so the article number one, essentially, even in 2010, affirmed that people should have right to have access to pain management without any discrimination. Good. 
Yeah, we've already talked about that enough. We kind of did. It's it's a, it's a pre- prelude to the most uh, recent definition of pain, but it's affirmation that it's actually essential human right. Article two is about the right of people to in pain to to have acknowledgement of their pain and to be informed about how it can be accessed and managed. Right. So essentially, to me, what it says is, yeah, I have the right. Uh, to access the pain management specialist or provider, but I also have the right, uh, not only that my pain is acknowledged, but I want to be—I have the right to be informed of how it can be managed, what I can do about it. It's my right to know. Right. And then uh, Article Three states that the right of of all people with pain to have access to appropriate assessment and treatment of the pain by adequately trained healthcare professionals. So my take on this is, people have right. Uh, to have access to pain management. People have a right to be informed about what their condition is and how to manage it. And people have right to be informed by people who are well-trained in pain. And That's to be basically. assessed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it kind of, uh, a ladder I see it. So the ultimate right is that I, I have the right to be treated by people who actually know something about pain. Correct. So. The problem now with this is that there just isn't the uh, there just isn't the, um, the the access that people have, and I know in Toronto and in a lot much of, of Canada, the, the waiting times to get into an interdisciplinary chronic pain center is not only months but sometimes years, and the access is is, is very challenging. Right. So, hundred percent. And this is in Canada. Not, we're not even talking about a lot of the world. Where so, what they say is, so five billion people live in countries with low or no access to controlled medicines and have no sufficient access to treatment for moderate to severe pain. moderate to severe pain. That's right. But you know, this is another good idea for us. Maybe to dedicate some time and have a podcast to two things. What do you do if you have limited access? And even if you have access, how do you communicate with your health, primary healthcare provider to advocate for yourself to get access to somebody who has pain experience, experience with pain management and, and, and proper training? Which, uh, sadly, and at the same time proudly, uh, in Canada, we now have a fellowship in pain management specifically addressing the issue of developing well-trained providers of pain uh, management and pain medicine. Exactly. So now just to, we're coming to the end of this episode and we want to just talk about normal pain pathways. Do we want to do that today or no? I think it should be a different episode, really. That's a different episode, okay. But what we can sum up is that what we talked about today is, one, there is a definition of okay, pain. So, okay, so, okay, let's summarize today's uh, episode. So we have a definition of pain. We know what pain is. We also know that pain is very much flavored by personal experience. We also know that we should trust anybody who says, I'm in pain. I take it at face value. Sure you are. Let me try to... They have the right to be not only assessed, but to have access to proper management, treatment, and medications, and whatever, whatever interventions to help their manage their pain as best as possible. And it's affirmed by the International Association for Study... Uh, in pain and the Montreal Declaration, even back in 2010, stated the same. Okay, what have we learned today? So, to sum it up, we learned four most important points. One, 
is the very authoritative body of experts now have defined pain as the very complex issue. Right, we have an agreed upon definition which is important. It's a complicated issue. It's not just about tissue damage. It's about so much more than that. You're right. Sort of like my, my, my pasta, my spaghetti bolognese. Exactly. Two, we now know, and it's affirmed since 2010, that seeking out help for pain is a fundamental human right. It's a human right through the Montreal Declaration, which now advocates can use to pressure their polit- 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 political leaders, I didn't say politicians, political leaders, to uh, create more access to pain assessment and management, more inter- integrated multidisciplinary pain clinics, for example, and timely reach to, to testing and treatments. All right. Third way that I look at what we learned today is that if you have pain and you go and see a provider, you should educate your provider that you don't have to have a tissue damage to have legitimate pain. So you can be in pain without activation of these nociceptors, right? So this is a very important concept that you should embrace yourself. That you, If you're in pain, you don't have to have any evidence for it. Your word is enough. Right. You don't have to actually even look like you're in pain. Because people look differently. Yeah. Good. And there we go. I think we've got ourselves uh, started uh, down this road. And next episode, we will be... We'll talk about more pain pathways and a bit of of science behind it. A bit of science next time. Okay, everybody. So let's try and suffer less. Live more. And remember. You're not alone out there. Good night. Good night. What if it's not night? Well, I could just say good, good goodbye. Painful <laughs> pain, where we offer a podcast that merges up-to-date science with real-world suffering through the experience of patients and knowledge of experts. <laughs>